we're back. It's 2019. Yeah, I don't know when you stop saying Happy New Year, but I, I mean, assuming it's far too late for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I stopped doing it a couple of days into the year, so. Yeah, welcome to Creative Chit Chat 2019. Uh, yeah, I think a couple of little things to say. Um, a thank you, first of all. Um, I know I've been plugging hard the uh, livable, lovable call out for Dundee Design Festival. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone who filled that out. Um, there's some really great responses, and it's uh, given us a really great base for the Design Festival this year, which will be happening at the end of May, which is exciting. Yeah, and also just thanks for listening to the podcast over the last year. The, the, the listener figures have, have grown and grown, and it's been great to see it um, and speak to so many people who have found it really valuable. It's been great for me just to meet so many people and to hear the feedback that everyone's loving it. Uh, yeah, it makes it all worthwhile. Um, so yeah, thanks, thanks to you for listening. Obviously, um, last year I think I did thirty episodes in total, so that was five blocks of six. Um, and I think it was a much more manageable level for me to get that balance and it was also a much more manageable level from the people that I've spoken to because it's kind of like everyone's still playing catch up on the episodes um, and because I, I chat to people and they say oh yeah, yeah I've just got a couple to go and then I'm still yeah I've still not listened to that one or this one um, so yeah I mean it seems to be working better for everyone so I think this year with everything that's going on I think I'm going to aim for 25 um, so it's going for five blocks of five throughout the year based upon when people are listening as well because I think summertime everyone goes on holiday or isn't really listening very much and then Christmas, the winter period yeah, podcast sort of dips off as well so I'm just trying to, to create content for when you guys want it um, and when you guys are listening so yeah, I think it'll be about 25 episodes this year also means that we'll hit I mean, it will hit 100 episodes, right? but I've got this thing about round numbers and why like the fact that we over celebrate round numbers and it really annoys me why that 39 is way less important than 40 or 99 is way less important than 100 and so yeah i might just celebrate and do a party at like 97 or something um just because yeah i'll, I'll probably celebrate at some point the fact that i've done a load of episodes whatever that number will be so let's uh, let's talk about this week's guest um, yeah, Louise Forbes. Um, actually, funny enough, she graduated the same year, and it wasn't until we sat down and, and had a chat that I actually realised that. Uh, yeah, that we actually um, were in the same degree show in the Vision Building um, for DJ CAD. Um, she studied um, interiors and created, <laughs> I think I described it as sexually inspired furniture. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose I should maybe put a little parental guidance warning on this. Probably not one to be listening to with the kids. Um, yeah, she does mention that B word that everyone is talking about um, that I really didn't want coming up. Um, but we don't we don't talk about that very much. But she also uses the C word. So if you're easily offended, then yeah, do what you like. Um, probably not one for you. But <laughs> um, yeah, so Louise Forbes, um, she runs um, the Tabury Gallery down in Perth with Sarah. Um, it talks about that and how that's her sort of um, her rock, and her that she she does every two weeks. She'll work a week week on week off at the at the gallery slash shop, um, and then she has all these other mad pursuits, um, like doing installs um, in galleries and like the design festival. She worked on that, um, to spin making workshops and 
yeah, I mean, loads of stuff. And we go into all that. Um, so it's fascinating. It's, it's a total whirlwind episode. Um, yeah, th- there's a really interesting journey of coming I mean, into creative uh, pursuit and then out and then back in again and then actually making that balance and that, that work for her. Um, it's really good. So, yeah, I'll shut up now. Uh, welcome to the first episode of 2019. Um, this is Louise Forbes. Well, when I graduated in 2009... Actually, I'm going to start earlier than that. When I was in third year at uni, I um, was I did interior and environmental design and we got a furniture project which we had to go into groups for. And so myself and a girl, Susan, and one of the other girls in our class were put together and it, the brief was uh, design a piece of furniture inspired by domestic activity. So Susan and I went to sex and uh, <laughs> we made the one night coat stand, which was a, a bench that had a coat stand that sort of plugged into the back of it so it basically looked like doggy style <laughs> furniture <laughs> it was counterbalanced so as you hung your coat up the coat stand would fly back and then when you took your coat off it would rock to be steady again so it would look like it was actually taking it from behind <laughs> um, so yeah that was that was our first piece and after we did that we were like oh this is this is really good fun maybe we should continue making furniture together so we ended up finishing our third year by doing another piece which was called Wine Me Dine Me uh, which was like a 69 in sort of unit all this is quite abstract I mean it was all in wood it wasn't figurative at all it was quite does this stuff still exist online if, like, it sure does yeah so people um, can go and see it because it's maybe quite hard so. to, for them to imagine it our really. name was Twig T-W-I-G all capitals two witty intelligent girls <laughs> so, <laughs> oh god that's a bit cringy but yeah so that was us and uh, so we, we made the Wine Me Dine Me and then we went on to these stools that um, it's still it was all sort of anthropomorphic and based on sort of relationships and uh, the coming together of people uh, and the next one was uh, called a couple of cunts and it was these four <laughs> stools that sort of all interlinked and it came from us being in the dca one time and there's this couple who were like getting on basically in the middle of the dca and their legs were like rammed in each other's like spaces you know uh and we were like oh that's that's weird what, like what and so then we got, <laughs> susan and i were quite sweary um and so yeah we, we decided to design this piece of furniture around them and so these these interlocking stools all sort of um would lock and from if you looked at them from above if you twisted them all around they would abstract like spell cunt uh <laughs> Which 100% design didn't let us take them when we went a few years later. They refused to have the cunts in the show, so that was that always made us laugh. Uh, then we made a few more pieces, and we made these lights called schlongs. We had mini schlongs, long schlongs, peeping schlongs, and semi schlongs, and they were all different lights. But it's such a laugh; it was great. Um, and then when we graduated, the lady Gillian, who owns the parlour, came and saw our show, and she bought a long schlong for her house, which was like a floor-standing standard lamp. Again, probably have to Google that just to have a visual for that. I'll put, but I'll put a link in the yeah, show yeah, notes to I'm, your I'm, sexually inspired <laughs> furniture. Yeah. I'm hoping the website, now that I've thought about it, I'm hoping the website's still there, but I think we've got a Facebook page that you'd be able to see some of the, yeah. the stuff on. Um, if not, I'll go, and, I'll go and retrospectively put some on my website. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so Parlour. Gillian came and uh, bought some things for herself and then commissioned us to 
fit out the parlour. So we designed and made all the tables that are in there, the uh, whiskey barrel tables and the semi-schlongs that were on the wall there. They're ours as well. So that was a really good one. And then we went and did um, the Nesta Starter for Six programme. Managed to get funding to go to 100% Futures and take our furniture there. It was all really exciting and we, we sort of worked quite hard that year to, to get it all going, but it never really came for us. We, we, basically, we just didn't have enough funding. They, we got to London and we got a lot of interest from people, but for the two of us to keep going, it would have been quite difficult. Susan lived in Stirling and I lived here and our workshop space got was no longer available and just ended up just not being for us. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, so where did you, what happened next? So obviously, like, there's going to be, I've been a dip after that, like a disappointment. But totally. then how did you pick yourself back up? So I worked as a carer for a while, nine months, uh, going into old people's houses and uh, hardest job I've ever done. Uh, getting people out of their beds, giving them medication, showering, all the personal care. Um, I, I've got a bit of an affinity for old people. I just love them. And uh, I, think, I think my grandparents all died when I was quite young. And so I've always been quite jealous of people with oldies. And uh, I... I thought that care work would be quite a rewarding thing to do and also when you're unemployed there's not an awful lot of jobs going um, especially for creative people really and back in 2010 I just couldn't find anything so care work was one of the only things that they were just crying out for people they just needed people so I did that and uh, my <laughs> I don't have a very strong stomach so I found the smells quite that was my that was my downfall. I loved going in and seeing all the oldies and chatting, getting great banter, like some of the top banter from these wifeys, just amazing. But the poo and the the smells were, yeah, just a bit beyond me. So I mean, you lasted nine, nine months. I lasted nine yeah, months, I mean, yeah, it was pretty good. And that whole time I was sort of keeping an eye out for a job and I ended up getting a job as a, um, a sales assistant in the fabric mill at Halley Stevenson's. Mm -hmm. It's like the... Yeah, th that was great. Um, and I was there for a couple of years and after I'd been there for about eight months, the manager left. So I went for the manager's position, retail manager, and got that. And I worked for a year as a retail manager there. Um, and that was that was good. It was a really good experience to sort of see how a business that size works and be kind of in it. And also it did encourage me to go back to wanting to do my own business. I think I realised that employment isn't necessarily for me. I, I don't... I can do it, but it wasn't. So what? What about it? Is it the? Um, you don't like it the was seeing. So. It was. It was seeing that. Like I really enjoyed working with my boss. He was. He was a great guy, but he was also quite. Um, I guess I was making him a lot more money. I I upped their business, and I was like, I if I can do this for someone else's business, why wouldn't I put all this effort and passion into my own thing? Uh, and so I think it was more of a, like I didn't mind the getting up every day but I think I, I'm like I'm a hundred percenter I like putting everything into something and yeah if like they, 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 I was like right I should definitely get a pay rise this year because I've done loads of work for you and they were like ah oh, no it doesn't work like that I was like ah oh, but 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 I've made you this much more money so how can I not be worth that yeah you know? exactly and yeah. so then I was like nah that's it's not for me um so Sarah my best mate had we'd met at uni and we, we met in first year she'd done interior design as well but she swapped to jewelry after the first year and uh when in 2009 when we graduated uh, a girl in her class ebba goring uh, opened tabery gallery in perth 
and she had it for a year and a half um, and then in the sort of March 2011 she decided that it wasn't working for her and she uh, she, she was pregnant actually I think um, and so she no longer wanted the gallery and Sarah was like oh Sarah had always kind of wanted a shop and that was kind of really on her radar for the future and when the opportunity came up it was in Perth you know it was like not maybe Perth Dundee might have been more convenient but Perth's got this sort of huge catchment area Perth Perth Shire has got a lot of disposable income and there's there's people come from all over Fife and all over Perthshire and Dundee because Perth's got this quite nice little shopping atmosphere like there's a lot of small shops and a lot of independent shops not quite as many now as there was when we first opened but it's getting better again so when when was it that you first opened so well Ebb opened in 2009 and then Sarah took over in March 2011 and at that point I was at the fabric mill still and uh, her and I went to Amsterdam to Sarad to the jewellery show over there and we were chatting and I was like you know would you consider having a business partner in Tavery and sort of broached the subject and you know, we chatted about it a bit and so I was like, oh, don't, don't know. And so we weren't sure. Um, and then a few months later, we spoke about it again. And so I was like, yeah, maybe it would be good. And we thought that having the two of us in the shop, I'd helped her out with wee bits here and there, like gone and done a couple of days for her whilst, so that she could get a break. Because it was quite, having a shop full time, even though her workshop was in there, it was quite a lot, you know, it was quite full on. So um, what we thought was we could take it on as a partnership and then do sort of it would allow us to do our own businesses as well and mm. have it yeah um so that was the plan so that was in november that we chatted about it and so october 2012 was the first of october 2012 i quit my job at the end of september and we went into partnership at the start of october 2012 so yeah and it's been been like that ever since which is great <laughs> and so when you took that over, did you also take over the stock and what was inside? Well, when Sarah took over from EBBA, EBBA had established a number of people and the actual space was a gallery before. So before it was Tabery Gallery, it was Artisanat and it was a lovely chap called David Bonner who ran that, who's still a great customer of ours. Um, and so she'd inherited some makers from him and then brought in more people herself and then when Sarah came in, she took, I think she, I'm not exactly sure how that worked, but I'm pretty sure she sort of said, well, I'll just take what's here. And then she sorted out from there. So sent back anything she didn't think would work and got new stuff in. Um, and then when I came in, we did a, um, in the November, we sort of launched a load of new artists and had a sort of welcome to the business Louise party. And that was quite good in the November. And we sort of started with some new makers then. Um, and we try and keep it various yeah it's, there's loads of different ways we get people in so we've got a few different we we did our first call out last year we'd never done one of them and that led to a lot of interesting uh, results <laughs> so that was essentially an open call to anyone who wanted to, to display yeah. work and, and I mean is it a gallery is it a shop well is good it question both? it's both we We've all always wondered if we did the if we should drop the word gallery, you know, if it should just be Tabery because mm. the gallery does sort of put some people off or makes it's quite intimidating for some people. Uh, so we try and make sure that we find that if someone comes through the threshold, they're good. You know, as soon mm. as they see that you can buy a handmade pair of earrings for a fiver, we're rocking. 
but at the window when they're looking in and seeing these paintings or whatever or you know I mean I mean we try and put things in the window that show it's quite accessible but still that word gallery can just completely put a whole section of people off um, but then conversely does it attract absolutely people? yeah um, it's a really difficult balance for us because we've we've often wondered you know sh- should we stock more expensive stuff and get less sales but more big sit you know mm. less but more meaningful sales or whatever or not meaningful that's the wrong word uh but at the moment basically the economy seems to have gone we find that it's easier to have stuff or it's better for us at the moment to have a more accessible price range so that anyone can come and shop with us and we find that once people have found us they will come back for gifts and you know weddings and birthdays and christmases but it's just getting people to find us we're not on a main main street in perth we're just just off south street which is still super central but um yeah it means that some people just don't find us on their route if they park in a certain car park on the north side they don't necessarily see us um but yeah we find that once people have found us and now that this year we turned 10 in the summer well tabery turns 10 uh which is amazing like to have like we feel like we've, that's that's a huge achievement for us because it has been a totally tough journey, but uh, yeah, it's Christmas time is always just so good in there. We both give up our December's to just work in Tabery in December because it's it's worth it. it. It's when it all comes good, and then you come back in January with a bit of a bang and like, oh, right, yeah, we haven't had anyone in for an hour and a half. <laughs> when it's Christmas time, you don't even get to eat your lunch half the time. So yeah, so. I mean, what have been since you've been there? What have been the biggest challenges about running it? Yeah, um, money, money is a massive thing. It's just the busyness of the highs and lows, I suppose. I mean, generally each year it's been getting better, but there are some months when there's no guarantees. You know, you just you just don't know. And we found with um, I, I don't know if it's coincidence or what, but when the Brexit vote happened, it definitely seemed to have a slight knock-on effect that, I mean, what we sell is luxury. I mean, it's not like, it's not like food where you just need it. You know, you, you don't need beautiful jewellery or lovely textiles, but it's really nice to have them in your life. And so, uh, yeah, we're maybe the first sort of thing that will drop off people's spending list, as it were, um, which isn't great. But I think... The challenges have just been, yeah, money, is that's our main, we have such a good day to day. It's a lovely atmosphere and a great place to be. And we've always found it really fun finding new makers and designers. And we, <laughs> we approach people more often, but we do get approached sometimes. And we've got some cracking stories of people coming in with their shitty felted hats and stuff you know like I'm a full time nurse but I like crafting in my spare time would you like to sell this and you're like oh, alright uh, all the people in here have you know like, with it I I used to be super nice we, we, <laughs> we used to be too nice and we'd take things that we knew wouldn't sell just mm. because we couldn't say no uh, but that we cut that we sort of nipped that in the bud quite early because we realised that actually we do know our customer So, so how do you decide like what criteria do you have to decide whether someone's right to, for their work to be part of the gallery Yeah. and then how much of that is like okay it meets these criteria and how much of it is just like a gut 
instinct and feel. yeah we, over the years we've gotten a lot better at the gut thing like i think we can now look at a product we look for quality uh like it has to be made well but more than anything we look for a design style so what gets me is when people come in like i'd say the majority of people can be makers like if you put your hand to it and you try really hard you can make something but to design something to design a thing to to have a sort of original thought and a voice and a point of view and a style that's what we look at so you could blindfold me and take me to one of the anywhere in the shop and hand me an item and I I'm pretty sure I'd be able to tell you who made it with like no bother even if it wasn't something we had in the shop even if it was just of their style uh, and that's where we kind of that's what we look for and there is a certain aesthetic that um, it's all we do well with applied arts so ceramics jewellery stuff like that we tend to find the more practical things like you know we'll, we'll sell a lot of jugs and stuff but if they're really if they're f form over function then not so much you know it's we're not a yeah this, it, it's although it's a gallery it is definitely a shop in that way that we we tend to find that the more applied arts practical items are what we sell there are two fine art galleries in Perth as well so we do kind of focus more on the textiles, ceramics mm. wood stuff like that and also because we are designers ourselves we find that so much easier like I love art and I love being involved with arty things but I definitely <laughs> find it a bit conceptual and a bit like I, I like nice things I just want a nice thing you know <laughs> that's, that looks bonny that does its job well that's that's the, that's my criteria and we have got we've gotten to know our customers and I think anything with that azure blue in it at the moment that's that's a good thing and how, um, so how many how many people how many like uh, makers or designers do you have in the shop at sort of any one time yeah so we have at the moment it's about 75 different artists okay. and designers we quite often get asked by people so do you make everything in here <laughs> uh no <laughs> and i think that it's funny things like that pottery showdown the pottery program that was on like the bake-off uh that did huge like things for us because people would come in and instead of being like oh 25 pound for a mug they'd be like oh this has maybe been that that'll have been thrown and then they'll have had to pull the handle and stick it on and then glaze it and fire it twice and you know there's this like huge sort of education of people and so we kind of see our jobs as gallery owners to sort of educate your joe blogs about how things are made and why they are the price they're at and so yeah a lot of people come into our shop and don't think it is expensive at all because they realize the value of the work mm -hmm. um but for those that do come in we do enjoy telling them like exactly why what why you're paying what you're paying for what you're getting does it i mean the the sort of demographic and the audience that you get coming into the shop is it completely like varied it is yeah we, i mean our sort of day-to-day -day ladies in their anywhere between 30 and 70 disposable income-y type people that just you know that's that is our main um customer uh, but sometimes we, we'll, we get a right surprise you know we had um, a couple of girls come down from one of the schools and get their mum's presents and stuff so we have got if you we've, we've got customers that like nice things that's yeah. really the main so, so you don't necessarily buy for so you know you've got this core demographic mm -hmm. um, do you curate and buy and bring in things aimed at that core demographic or is it 
is it more to do with your sort of vision of and your sort of feel for what's right? I think it's a feel thing. We'll we'll look at things and know whether it's right or wrong for the shop. And there's some things that we're like, oh, oh, I don't know. You know, we've had a few things that we've just had to test because they're just so unlike anything we've had before. Mm. And often, like in the past, we've both loved things and been like, yeah, this is this is going to sell, and it doesn't. And you're like, ah, oh, right. So not not everything that Sarah and I love is a good seller and we can we're getting better at sort of distancing ourselves from that and being like well even though we don't necessarily love it it would potentially sell well in the shop uh but again we we do it's funny you get things in that you're not that sure of and then when you've had it and you've sold it and you've sort of been around it for longer i grow to love things that i like there was these luster fish that to begin with I just didn't like and now I absolutely love them <laughs> it's one of those weird things that yeah I think just living with them or being around them in that space does make it yeah you want to you want to see them more so obviously you're, you're based in Dundee mm-hmm. but you work in Perth sort of so there's a, there's a sort of there's a balance in that respect and we'll come on to your sort of um, your own creative practice and the things that you make yeah. that feature in the in the gallery shop as well um but I want to talk a little bit about Perth because um, it's something that I mean being a Dundee focused podcast we don't talk about it yeah, very much yeah, yeah. so it'd be nice to get your perspective on this um, spending quite a bit of time there um, so what's the what's the creative feel what's the creative community or what's your experience of the creative community in Perth there's there's not a massive creative community in Perth there's, they're trying uh, Perthshire Creates was set up a few years ago Gillian came through from Creative Dundee and helped sort of set that up and Karen Ironside's been taking that and doing doing good things with it. Um, there are a few different little galleries, Frames Gallery, um, the one along the road, he's great and he does a thing called Art Tay every summer and it's this art festival where he gets loads of different fine artists. It's all quite fine arty in a big um, tent along beside the um, concert hall. And there are, like Katie Guthrie's done a huge amount of uh, street art and stuff and sort of raised awareness of things. She painted our door in the gallery which the council wouldn't fund. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bugbear. Um, so, but yeah. I mean, that's genuinely, from having spoken to Katie about about yeah. difficulties with that, that has been a struggle, is getting the yeah. council to embrace that. Yeah, and the council have been, they, we won Independent Retailer of the Year in 2013 and 2014 by public vote, which was awesome. And they helped us out loads that year. And then since then, we haven't had as much help. Uh, and we sort of dropped off the sort of radar of them, I think, a little bit. Um, and from what we've seen or heard through people, uh, Perth are focusing on being a like a nightlife city, okay. and so that's why they are aiming to have the sort of big Christmas Christmas do's where they get Peter Andre or they seem to have like big aye, stars, big stars, yeah, like yeah. the Scottish. Uh, what, what did they say last year? It was the. Christmas party for Scotland or something like that that's their goal which they are doing mm-hmm. uh, but in my eyes spending £10,000 on Pixie Lot driving down a, driving down the high street she didn't even sing this year I don't even know how much they spent on her but it was a lot and when they could have spent less than that getting local artists to paint doors of independent businesses and we could have made like a, I don't know some sort of trail where you go around all the different businesses and see the art on the door and the business you know it's like a nice thing yeah but nah they, they, they've they got quite a 
set thing. But to, to give them their due, this year they um, allowed us to take the, the every year they put these uh, wooden huts, like a like a wooden market, a European market, up on the high street. And I've always thought it was quite unfair for the poor shops that are on the high street and they've ended up with this big hut outside, straight outside their door. Um, and last year we were like, oh. That's, that's not very fair, all these people coming in. We've got shops here all year round. And then they come in, take December money and bagger off out of the city again. Mm. Um, and so last year they'd been, they were like, well, you could have one of these huts, but it'll be 400 pounds or something. And we were like, oh, we don't have that sort of money. We've already got a shop in Perth. Why would we do that? This year they came to us and said that we could do it for a tenner. So we did it. We took a we took a hut in the city centre, and it was it was brilliant. We spent the first and second of December freezing our arses off, handing out flyers, and sort of raising awareness. And that was that was good. So the council did a did a win there. Woo! <laughs> uh, but yeah, apart from that, the, the creative the focus on creative things it's it's not there yet. It's got a long way to go. But I mean, there seems to be steps. There seems to be things happening. Like yeah. Um, Obviously, they they brought in a big name. They sure they did. Like to bring in a big name. <laughs> They're all about that. I wonder how much they paid for him. <laughs> but like, have you seen? I mean, have you had any contact with what's going on with that? Or no. And yeah, I mean, Wayne Hemingway is the big he the is, big name. Totally. Um, and I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I've, I've not read up on a lot of it. But like, what his remit is, or what the actual tasks he'll be looking at, or I feel a bit ashamed to be honest, because although we spend a lot of time in Perth, I'm when I'm in the Perth, I'm pretty much in the gallery. I don't spend an awful lot of time going round Perth, apart from December. December is the time when we're both in the gallery, so we get a bit more of a chance to go out and see what's going on. And I think over the last couple of years, we did sort of lose a little bit of um, confidence in the council. So then we end up speaking to other shops and sort of there's a great scheme of um, shop local, it's called, and all these businesses got together and we all uh, made this... uh, like brochure with a map in it of all the independently run businesses in Perth, things like that have been brilliant, and the council didn't really have much to do with that. Um, and so, how many how many were in that? Oh, it was like, a good load of businesses, uh, at least a hundred, I'd say. Right, well, yeah, and all sorts, but you know, like sports business, photography businesses, every, like everything with a shop front. They were all mm-hmm. shops; it wasn't so much just businesses, but yeah, um, shop local. They were, they're a great campaign, uh, but yeah, with the Perth creative scene. I think because of where I work, because I'm so much more in the Dundee side of things, I I guess I just get involved over here rather than so would you there. would you love to just pick up the shop and bring it up here or even I mean I say pick it up and bring it but yeah. what, open another open one them. Yeah. yeah well we've we've looked, we've thought about this a few times and we're toying with the idea of like maybe popping up as Tabery in different cities um, the thing about it is we've been in Perth for 10 years now and so we've got this amazing bank of customers that and regulars that come and people come from all over we've got this one woman who's amazing whose daughter goes to university in Aberdeen she lives in Ireland and she comes over every summer and she comes to the shop with her list of Christmas presents that she needs to buy and she spends you know a few hundred pounds like she gets all of her Christmas presents every summer from us and so there's a bit of us that think it would be daft to move um, even for the convenience and because Dundee's sort of up and coming and everything's going on in Dundee you know we have really thought about it but the the reach and the sort of um, catchment area for Perth is so vast that actually we've, we've sort of 
yeah, we st- I mean, we still flick back and forth, but for now, I think we're definitely in Perth to stay. And our landlord is amazing. We've got this cracking landlord who's just couldn't be nicer, and he he's he's brilliant. So yeah, it makes it very difficult to leave. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. half the battle. If you've got a great space, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Why why, why would you? change it? Yeah. yeah, and yeah, just putting in all those all the groundwork. It's yeah, it's it's all there. So we just need people to keep coming back, and then. It's all good, and it's like new people finding us. So that would be the intention with pop up shops: is that we would have our shop in Perth all the time, but maybe visit other cities with a a Tabery on tour or whatever, and try and get um, just basically raise awareness of what we do and what we sell. Mm. And yeah, and have you tried or looked at the possibility of doing digital sales? We have. We had an online shop for a wee while because everything's one off. Everything's made handmade one off so we did a small online shop and we found that the average sale was like 20 to 40 pounds and so half that money has got to go back to the artist and then by the time you've photographed it and written a thing all about it and you know it's it's quite labor intensive for not a lot of return and if we were with online shops you know if you could put up one photograph and say we've got 50 of them great but everything that's just not the way we work and often jewellery seems like you know you need to really try that on and with ceramics you want to feel them you don't want you don't want to get cups in the post (laughs) you want to touch them and like make sure that they're smooth against your lips and stuff you see people do all sorts of things with them (laughs) I'd I'd never I I don't know maybe that's (laughs) I encourage people to rub my spoons on their face just so that they can see how smooth they are (laughs) always wash products when you get them first (laughs) Um, yeah like I think it's it's nice the, the sort of thing we sell needs to be touched which is good for us and I think that that is one reason why a high street shop for us is mm. is best because people constantly say they couldn't buy it online I mean there would be a few things like we we both would like to sell our own work online but not not the shop because it would be a whole other it's like it's like another whole business on top of the business you mm. know um, yeah yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah. so uh, <laughs> let's move on to talk a bit about the stuff that you make that yeah. you design so um obviously you do the spoons i do and you do the workshops as well yeah allow people to come and make the spoons and then rub them on their face yeah yeah they can rub their own um, food spoons and you've got the man pins yep as well um so how how have you developed that over time how have you developed the products so that you make when susan and i stopped being twig uh and i went into table with sarah i at the same time i sort of lost the workshop that i was using that had lots of tools that allowed me to make furniture um and so i moved into a wee workshop on blinshaw street with isla sarah's sister um, who's also a jeweller and makes beautiful kilt pins. Uh, she, so I moved in with them and uh, start, started building up a bank of small tools but couldn't afford the, I mean, the like the Shepak uh, table saw I'd been using was like something like £16,000 worth of saw, you know, that cuts everything beautifully straight, like, you know, we'd go through two inches of oak like it was a knife through butter, just like, oh. Uh, and then so I started to try and build my own tools up and uh, yeah it's it's quite expensive uh, and was able to buy quite basic tools Um, and it was a Instagram person I followed Ariel Alesco a New Yorker who carved all these spoons and uh, she'd not long started at that point and I was like oh that that looks fun I'm going to give that a go and so got tools that I thought would be fine and 
gave it a try and realised that that, well, that wasn't quite right and so sort of developed it from there and then I realised that that was actually quite a viable thing for me to make like homewares would be a better place for me to go because smaller and I could we'd have the tools for it and also they would be able to sell in the shop so that was a sort of big motivation for the spoon stuff like why the spoon started um and then there's something about them like I didn't think I would be that I've never seen myself as a spoon person but like folk are really into them so it's I like mean, they've got a really beautiful form um, yeah and like wooden especially wooden cutlery yes is quite unusual totally and up, up, unless you're Scandinavian I mean the Scandies love about wooden uh, cutlery. They, whenever we get Scandies over in the shop, they're like, "Oh, this is brilliant!" It's like it's quite usual for them to eat with. You've just been at Denmark. Did you not see any? Uh, we were well, Finland. Finland. Sorry, we whoops, there. wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see any wooden furniture, cutlery? Um, no, I no. Don't Other than like those the well, little sporks you get. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I started making them, and the the workshops actually. Uh, Last year, Isla and I, Isla and Sarah and I, did a workshop for a family. It was a thirtieth birthday, and the girl wanted to do a make a ring, make a silver ring workshop. And uh, so her and her boyfriend and her mum made a silver ring, and her dad came and made a spoon. And so we did this workshop in our workshop, and it was it was really good fun. Um, and that sort of sparked it all off. And then the people who run Guardswell Farm phoned the shop one day and said that they were looking to find out the name of the girl that makes the spoons because they'd like to do workshops and I was like that's me uh, so I went for a cup of tea and we decided that I'd do a, a carving workshop for the family as like a trial and see what see what I like uh, so I went out there and did one for that the bunch the the Lamotts and it was really good it was really good fun and so they decided that they'd like to Guardswell is the most amazing like wedding venue venue things places uh, but it's just was well, just it's it's towards Abernight yeah, yeah. Um, just just in Kinnaird um, and they've got yeah a beautiful big converted barn and then a farmhouse and some off-grid units that are all like yeah it's super nicely designed they were all designed by um, the uh, what's the name of the company they did the Humpty House and it's a Brechin or Montrose based architect uh, right, yeah, yeah. they're great the architecture works and oh, I can't remember the name anyway yeah they were brilliant and it got listed as like one of the Reba for the Reba Awards last year and mm. everything like that. yeah anyway uh, so I went and did a couple of workshops there and that was great and then they just booked me up for last year and uh, at the start of uh, February last year just, just the day before the Beast from the East came we were snowboarding up in Glenshee and uh, we decided the Winter, Olymp Winter Olympics were on and we decided that it would be a great idea to go and muck about in the snow park so off we went and I uh, went down the hill and zoomed across a rail and Isla nailed it, Sarah fell and then I nailed the first one. It's like, right, cool, this is good. And then we went again, Isla fell, Sarah nailed it. And then I went and just hesitated for some reason, went a bit slow, fell back on my wrist and uh, my whole, my left wrist cracked. We all heard it. I was like, oh, well, that's no, that's no good. So Sarah got to zoom down the mountain and get the... Um, medics to come up and I got stretchered off the hill <laughs> head first going down it was really weird um, and I had to get an operation to put a plate in my wrist um, and so the workshops turned out to be a bit of a lifesaver last year because I my own work just sort of got put on hold for a bit because it's yeah to although yeah it's a funny tools are so strong you don't realize the strength that you have to have in holding things that was what I was finding was my problem so 
yeah I ended up not being able to do quite a lot of the install work that I usually do and heavier lifting missed out on the degree show and everything because I just I couldn't so the workshops were a total lifesaver for me and I really enjoy them they're like I, I um I've always quite enjoyed sort of the, the thought of teaching or not necessarily being a teacher but I like I like people I've always liked people and uh, I think there's something about spoons that brings out some fun in folk and there's something about the personality of the person being reflected in the spoon every time I've had a group of friends come their f- friends or family can always guess who made which spoon it's really weird <laughs> it's like no matter who it is the spoon seems to take on their so you I, make I a spoon like in the image of yourself yeah something like that yeah. <laughs> totally even though they look absolutely nothing like a person yeah there's something really anthropomorphic about them again and that seems to be what my where my design style heads to uh, all the time and so do you only make spoons or have you done like a full oh, range so did, of yeah. like forks and knives and no I've, I've done some I did some big salad servers with big forks and spoons and stuff and uh, I make these bowly boards so they're like chopping boards but with bowls carved out in them so that you could have like cheese and chutney or a pizza and dip or whatever um, like serving boards uh, and when I first started in the gallery I made <laughs> I made loads of toast tongs like really nice little um, tongs for getting your toast out of the toaster without electrocuting yourself. <laughs> um, I haven't made any of them in ages, but I need to I need to go back to them because I get asked about them quite a lot still. Um, yeah, I'll I'll do commissions for people as well and do random things. I did a cabinet once that was a bane of my life for a while. This chap who liked my work really wanted me to make a cabinet. And I was like, oh, nah, nah. I said no for months. And eventually I just said yes to just get him to go away <laughs> so I did the cabinet the stupid cabinet uh, that I didn't have the tools for and so it ended up like I think I got about three pounds an hour for that stupid cabinet and that was when I realized that I can't I couldn't I can't make furniture and what I've with the tools I've got at the moment um and so yeah things like the smaller bits were way more viable and actually selling so yeah um yeah because I mean, you sort of briefly touched on the install work that you do as well. Because um, yeah, you're involved in the the design festivals. That was probably the first time we sort of worked yeah, together. Yeah, totally. Um, and so yeah, I'm interested to to know how you got into that. So whilst I was so because Sarah and I are sort of part time in the gallery, we do now we do week about. It wasn't always that clear cut we did sort of a couple of days here and a couple of days there and we always made it fair but uh, now we sort of organise our time week about and it's meant that we can do whatever in our own time and making spoons is not going to be another full time like I've sort of got Tabery as my main time slot and then I've got loads of other jobs that fill the rest of it so uh, Adrian I was pals with Adrian he shares the workshop with Isla and I and he used to do installs at the DCA. He's now the manager there, but he, the gallery manager, he um, he got me in to do an install in 2012, I think. And I was just helping paint in the floor. Uh, and then I got Andrew Dodds at the uni asked me to come and do some installs up there. And they were great. And I, so I've worked at the Cooper Gallery since 2013, I think. Uh, doing installs with the team there and that's always been great um, and the DCA 
on and off throughout that time as well. Whenever they'll get in touch with me and see if I'm free, and if I am, I'll do it. Because um, now, I mean, the, there's a lot more institutions that require install teams, yeah, now, especially is. with the opening of the, the big museum. Yeah. Um, so how has that changed the dynamic in the city and the sort of demand for those kind of skills? Well, last year was definitely the busiest year for all us install workers. It was unbelievable. Like the V&A coming was <laughs> quite a thing. Um, they there wasn't enough install work in Dundee to I mean, fulfil the, what they roughly required. Roughly how many do you think there are? Uh, well, there's probably a bank of about 10 to 15. Okay. But even then, a couple of them travel up from Glasgow and stuff. You know, it's not, it's not like, it's, a, it's quite an unusual set of skills, install work. Yeah, there's some days where you're just doing kind of manual labour stuff that anyone could do. And then other days you come in and they're like, right, you need to build a monitor, like a, a monitor that looks like a computer monitor out of MDF. And the screen is to be, you know, two and a half meters wide. Like, All right. OK, cool. Any drawings? No. This is what the artist wants. Right. So to figure that out and to, des you know, sometimes you're designing and making things and sometimes you're picking vinyl off a wall for you know, five hours. But I quite like the, what I like about the DCA work is that often, or the install work in general, is that I'm being told what to do. As, as, as much as I like being self-employed, there are some elements where it's like, oh, it's got an awful lot to think about. But it's there, I just turn up and do what I'm told and get paid, which is banging. Uh, and you get to meet loads of nice people. And I've always struggled a bit with art wank, as I call it, um, but actually, working with the artists is amazing sometimes and you I get I get a much deeper understanding of what their show what it is the show is because uh, I'm not I haven't got an awful lot of patience or reading interpretation boards so uh, hearing it from the artist's mouth themselves does make a big difference for me <laughs> so other than that what makes it a good install in your perception uh, the it? banter it's good bants like I really enjoy there's a lot of poo chat and install <laughs> <laughs> We had a summer talking about the old uh, poo stool and Jason and I trialled standing on the toilet seat for a while. And, you know, <laughs> That's definitely not the answer I thought you'd get. No, well, lots of poo chat. Um, I love, I love uh, yeah, the, the teamwork. I'm, I've always been a team sports kid and, like, you know, I, I do, I seem to hop from, you know, business with Susan and then I got into partnership with Sarah and uh, I do like, I like that sort of, team dynamic where you've got it just I think it makes like the decision making process easier and everything because you're not just battling against yourself you've got this team there to do stuff like yeah I like I like the team element of it I think that's my favourite and the variety like I'm, I'm obviously don't have the attention span for one job so the, the good thing about it is you, you don't really know what you're going to be doing when you go in that day like you could be like you said picking vinyl you could be which I find really really therapeutic for some reason like I love the pick and vinyl jobs. Um, it gets a bit sore under the fingernails sometimes, but it's... it's <laughs> um, and again, love the sort of challenge of right build a staircase to nowhere, you know, in the middle of the gallery. It, it is, it's just the variety that I find probably the most fun about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you seem to have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. A anything else you'd like to just throw in the mix? Yeah, so I've got... Um, I work on a Monday. Last year, I... Um, applied for a job as the architecture support specialist. So, um, what, what is that? That is the technician. 
okay. in the design workshop. So Lyle, who's the architecture technician, decided to drop to a four day a week. And so they needed a, a Monday filled. And so I ended up going for the job. Didn't get it to begin with. Um, but the guy who did get it ended up not not wanting it after a few months and they came back to me and said actually they want the job so in May last year I started in the uni every Monday which has been brilliant because it's actually given me access to all these tools again that I can use and uh, just being in the uni is quite fun and uh, the, the whole teaching element of it again being able to and the variety so people uh, students will come in and say you know I've got this project to do any any advice how do I make this how do I do that and uh, yeah the sort of problem solving and it all's really fun uh, yeah enjoy it also man pins I haven't spoken about man pins what is a man pin most asked question in our shop what is a man pin it is a pin for your lapel or kilt um, and can be worn by anyone but we branded to men because men are hard uh, we basically sharing a workshop with Isla I had loads of wooden offcuts and she makes the most beautiful kilt pins and I was like oh, pins would be nice you know these little wooden pins like all these offcuts would be great as little pins and so they the idea sort of evolved between the two of us and we uh, created the man pin so we started with um, at the African collection and it was all African hardwoods that we used which were quite colourful and bright um, and then we we both love greyboard, so we designed these sort of quite graphic uh, uh, greyboard backs for the pins to go onto. And on the back of them, there was top trumps, so you could play who's got the hardest wood and who's got the tallest tree. <laughs> love a wood joke. Um, and the man pins lent themselves very well to that. Lots of rubbing of wood, lots of um, hard wood. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we. we did the African collection and then since then we've released a Scottish collection which had all different Scottish woods and we started hand making the pins because there was an issue with the bottom pins. Anyway, and then we've made a few more collections since then. We did um, the fruit wood collection, it's all fruit woods with resin, hand dyed resin stripes in them. And then our most recent one was my man pin Waza and they've proved really popular. So we've got like whiskey casks, or red wine casks, guitars cellos so if you've got any wood that you want made into a man pin we've got bits of boat uh had all sorts of things so we've got a guy at the moment who's a tennis coach and he's got an old wooden racket so he'd quite like us to convert that into a man pin so yeah if anyone's got any wood then they need a man pin made out of we're always interested <laughs> so that i mean you you obviously do a lot of different things, right? <laughs> which is is great and i think from what you've been saying it feels like that's what you love about it. You have the security of the gallery, yeah, but then the butter. rest of the time it can be anything and everything and all over the place. And yeah. Um, so, like, where I've asked this to quite a few people, um, like, where does your expertise lie? What are you really good at? Uh, good question. I think my I think my main strength is in people. <laughs> like, I like the sort of I love the sales aspect of the shop. I wouldn't have said I was a salesperson, but actually. I love it. Sarah and I both do that sort of, you know, getting the best out of people um, and the workshops and the uni job. And the, it is all about the the interaction and the people for me. I, wood is my thing. I, I love building things and um, I just I like the physical work of of what I do. I enjoy being hands on. Uh, and I think that is where my strength lies. The wordy stuff drives me mental. I would sit for 
far longer than I should to write a few words on Instagram that compared to just taking a picture. You know, like I find the words side of things really difficult. But yeah, the the wood and the people they're my they're my thing. <laughs> what what does the future look like for you? What excites you about the future? I like the idea of continuing on doing more workshops and I think that'll go from strength to strength and I think the more they get out there, the better. Uh, I quite like the idea of maybe doing some sort of... Um, a lot of the people that come to my workshops love it so much that they want to come and do more. And so over the next few years, I'd quite like to look into maybe doing some sort of like night classes where people could come for a six-week block of, you know, come for a couple hours every Thursday night for six weeks and go away with a table or a whatever I don't know just some sort of bigger wooden projects because I think that the whole experiences thing is where I think people I, I'm finding that people are more likely to buy my work if they've had a go at making it themselves as well like my spoons are selling so well to people who have been on my course because when they've spent five hours trying to make one to look anything like close to mine and they can't it's good when they um but yeah is that it's the appreciation of the yeah, process it's, it's like you're exactly. talking about the pottery stuff before. exactly yeah, yeah that's it that is exactly it um and with and people sort of get hooked pardon the pun um because of hook knives just in case you don't get it uh, <laughs> the, um yeah people get really into it and i think Doing something like that would be would be really good for the future. Um, and Tavery Tavery turns ten this year, so that's a massive thing for us. And want to keep it going for the next ten years anyway. So, yeah, it's kind of our priority. Um, yeah, it's my bread and butter and my main thing. I see you're gonna have a big party. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna we're we can't decide what to do. But I think we're gonna um, have we'll definitely have some sort of party and uh, maybe do a week of birthday events or yeah keep keep your eyes peeled go and follow us on all the all the channels we'll get to that we'll get to <laughs> yeah, sorry <laughs> Keen bean. Um, yeah before you plug everything yeah yeah um, <laughs> is there anything that you have been reading watching listening to recently mm-hmm. that you would recommend good one it can be anything it doesn't have to be design or creative related just and it could be someone on netflix or whatever I'm trying to think what I've been watching that isn't ridiculous. I watch an awful lot of shite. I mean, I think <laughs> it's quite embarrassing, actually. Sarah and I are right into this project runway. <laughs> <laughs> we watch a lot of stuff like that. Um, and I love uh, quite gruesome uh, detective things. I've just started watching Luther. Mm. Uh quite enjoying that so far I'm only on like episode 4 or something but everyone kept going on about it and I was realising that that was quite up my street uh, and uh, yeah things like Sherlocky things I, I always enjoy a good good mystery good Had drama to like Scandi The Bridge yeah have seen The Bridge yeah yeah so good so good so yeah and Line of, uh, line of Duty I always mm. call it Call of Duty because it's a stupid <laughs> game but Line of Duty I absolutely love that yeah, uh, yeah. big yeah I like that <laughs> cool um, yeah so now's your time to plug um, if people want to well one come to the gallery yeah where is it we are on 19 Princess Street in Perth which is like just two up from the river just off South Street and the social media for that so we are out. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram just at Tayberry Gallery um, and then 
our website's tablegallery.com. Cool. And then if people want uh, to do a workshop, yeah. Um, so have you got any planned, or is it a case? Of yeah, there's one. Or? There's one planned for a place in Bridgeburn. Uh, it's Violet Studios in Bridgeburn on the seventeenth of March or sixteenth of March. Uh, if you go to my Instagram, Louise C Forbes, that'll show you that's got the, all the all the correct things. Or email Louise Forbes Design at gmail dot com. That's yeah. great. Thank you very much. No bother. So that was Louise. Um, yeah, a total madcap episode. Um, yeah, way more random than I ever thought I've imagined, but fascinating uh, story. And yeah, uh, go and if you're ever in Perth, yeah, drop in, say hello. Uh, it's very friendly. And they have some nice stuff in the Tabery Gallery. So yeah, um, if you're new to the podcast, or if you don't already, then why don't you go on Instagram, Twitter, and follow at CCC Dundee. Also, yeah, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Um, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify now. Yeah, all the podcast places. Just search CCC Dundee and you will get it. Or creative chit chat. Yeah, um, and if you're not all podcasted out, um, some of you might already know because I've plugged it quite a lot. Um, that I run a second podcast called No Opinion, which is much more niche and design focused. Um, so if that is your thing, um, you can check out the No Opinion podcast. Um, we've just been out in Helsinki like l- maybe two weeks ago when this goes out, um, chatting to people about um, how design can change a city and how to empower the citizens. And it's something that Helsinki does brilliantly well um, but we get a lot of honesty um, and the things they don't do well and um, yeah I mean it's fascinating to get an insight and a sort of parallel comparison to another UNESCO city of design um, so go and check that out agencyofnone.com forward slash no um, there's a couple of Helsinki episodes up there for you to listen to um, but yeah that's it for this week I'll be back next week with another amazing guest Um, I've got a whole bunch of good ones lined up for the start of this year so I will see you then no I won't see you I always say that why do I always say that yeah you'll hear my voice next week that's terrible isn't it anyway bye (laughs)